Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour, broadcasting live from Feast Portland. I'm Andrew Friedman, back with you for the second time today. And before we resume our coverage of Feast Portland, I'd like to thank Travel Portland, Stream, PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. And with that, I am now joined by Rachel Yang. Welcome. Hi, how are you doing? To our humble Airstream. This is so awesome. And Isn't this, this is great? Very Portland. <laughs> you <guys laughs> very Portland, it. <laughs> yes. It's so Portland that there's another one next door to us doing uh, <laughs> something else. So we're not going to plug those guys, though, although they're very nice. Um, so Rachel is chef and co-owner with your husband yes. of three restaurants in Seattle dating back about 12 years, I think, to when you guys moved there. I know. There. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, sorry, Jewel, is that the right pronunciation? That's it. Trove yes. and Revel, and for two years you have had revelry here in Portland. Absolutely. So you, this is kind of a great life. I mean, first of all, you're from the East Coast, or I, you, you you were there for college and then for several years cooking. That's right. You made the move out here, and now you have, you get to shuttle back and forth between two of the best cities in the U.S. I, I kind of do have a dream job, actually, yeah. <laughs> and dream life. <laughs> Um, so before we get into a little bit about all that, tell us you're part of the night market tonight that's happening at the festival. I am. What uh, are you guys doing for that? Uh, we are doing a somewhat of a really fun take on a kabi and kimchi. Okay. So I literally took two best known Korean food uh-huh. and people everyone absolutely loves. Yeah. Um, and then we are doing a little bit of a sort of Korean, when you go to a Korean restaurant and if you order kabi, you always get this really cool like water kimchi, maybe daikon. Yeah. It's meant to like really cleanse your kind of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are doing a little noodle dish yeah. with the white kimchi and then kabi. Got it. Fun. It'll be great. That's awesome. So here, I have a question for you. You grew up in South Korea, is that correct? Yeah. And then came to the U.S. for school when you were 15? That's right. Okay. So what kind of Korean food, because you guys are known for doing food, I think you've referred to it as food without boundaries. It's, it's people have that you, it's, it's Korean in character, but it brings in elements of Japanese, Chinese, French, Italian, Mexican. All over. All over the place, (laughs) right? So I'm wondering how, I'd love to uh, talk about how you got to a place where you felt comfortable enough to do that, coming from, actually coming from Korea. Uh, I'm assuming you probably grew up eating traditional Korean food. Absolutely. I mean, it's, Korean food is a really interesting time here. Um, There are some amazing Korean chefs here in America. Um, Everyone does have a really different background, the way they approach Korean food. So in my case, I was born and raised in Seoul came to the States when I was 15 for uh, for my parents, basically, who um, thought that, you know, coming to America, you know, would give me a better education, better life, you know, and the... Did they move yeah. here also or did they send you to boarding they, school? They did send me here. Um, my sister and I, we lived in um, my aunt's house. Okay. So when I was oh, 15. Wow. Was that hard? Um, no. So my, my aunt's, their family is great. Yeah. Um, but I mean, was it hard to be away from your parents? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I don't, you know, like when you're a teenager, it's not like you miss your mom, but it was like, I don't have my friends. I don't, yeah. like I don't speak the language, right. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. So, um, so Korean food was something that, you know, I was born in. I was took it for granted. That's just food that you eat. Right. Yeah. And then after college, I decided to go to cooking school. It was partially, you know, I went to Brown University after graduating. I was like, 
oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what I need to do. Now, we should say you studied, you had a double major, mm-hmm. urban studies and visual arts. Yes. Yeah. So, but you, that was, were those just interests of yours? Did you have any expectation that you would go into one of those fields? Well, I think that's why, you know, a lot of, you know, it is okay here in America for a lot of, you know, kids to sort of not really know what they need to do when they're in college, you know? Yeah. For me, I think... Especially, I have to say, at Brown University. <laughs> no, well, that's the thing. So I came here and when I was sent to America, I had a very purpose, I had a very strong purpose of like, okay, go to Ivy League College. But this was family pressure, or it, this was your well, own. I, I would or say can't you separate those. Yeah, you know what? It's really it, that's a really interesting question because it's definitely a family pressure. But at the same some point, you actually it's you live you know and breathe that same family pressure, and it becomes your own pressure too. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like after I went to Brown University, I felt like okay, I studied really hard. I sort of proved myself that you know I did what you asked me to do. But then, like, I didn't really know what to do afterwards. Right. It's interesting to me, you know, Huni Kim, you were saying how there's some really terrific Korean chefs in this country. I did a very long interview with him earlier this year. And he was saying how his mother, to this day, doesn't really love that he became a chef, right? And I said, why? And he said, because he said, I'm Korean. You're supposed, it reminded me sort of, I'm Jewish. It's not that different. (laughs) You know, he said, you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. He said, or if you're not that smart, accountant. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Number is the secondary thing. But that, he just chalked that up to actually the, I mean, it sounds very stereotypical when I say it, but he was saying it to me as somebody who had started life in Korea, was raised by a Korean mother, and yeah. was he actually went to medical school just as you went to a Ivy League school before yeah. he found the kitchen. So I think that's, I mean, because I have um, two kids now. I have, I have two boys who are six and eight. Yeah. And... Every time I parent them, like there's a, you know, back in back of my head, there's my mom speak, speaking to me. So I, so they definitely wanted me to be, have this, you know, this grand professions. Um, I didn't become that. And, and they're, they're quite happy with me right now. I think but it did take them a time. But I do need to mention that my sister, uh, who also came here with me, went to Yale and then actually became lawyer and then married a lawyer. So um, <laughs> she kind of fulfilled their dreams. So yeah. that's really awesome. But um, So everybody wins. Everybody <laughs> wins at the end. <laughs> yeah, but so, uh, I mean, like, so in Korea, I mean, like, you, I mean, like, same problem with, with you, that you, the way the parents tell you how much they love you, is like telling them to, like, telling you that, like, hey, you need to do better. You could do better. You don't, don't settle at where you are. Right. So I think it's it's always that pressure of like, oh, my gosh, I'm not good enough. I need to do more. And, you know, there's this weirdest thing about that is that, like, you know, when you when you are in the situation, you hate it. You absolutely hate it. My life sucks. You know, they don't love me. They don't Mm -hmm. let me do what I wanted to do. Because nothing's good enough. Right. Yeah. Right. But then when you grow up, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like I get it. Like, I mean, like it's this is the weirdest thing for me is the fact that like they push me so hard. They they let me learn how to really not settle for what you have and do more. At the same time, you know, when I started cooking and then when I um, met my husband now, um, he was the complete opposite. He was like, you are great. You, you got everything you need. This is, you know, how much I love you for what you are. Yeah. And so I got this really fun, interesting, this like balance in my life that, you know, that in, my, in one side of my head that tells me how much I need to do more. Yeah. And this is not good enough. But the other side always tells me like, that's fine. You got yeah. it. So, just quickly, because we have limited. I'm, oh, I'm referring to this. As speed, this is speed dating today. Yeah. Um, but you, uh, how did you 
start moving toward the kitchen. So you have this double major from an Ivy League school. It was cooking something you had always enjoyed? Did you start to enjoy uh, restaurants here in the U.S. when you came over? Like, what was the sort of spark for you that started you moving in that direction? So to be honest, it wasn't food itself in the beginning. So I, you know, food was actually something that I really enjoyed. But at the same time, I never thought that I would cook professionally. I never thought that this was something that I would do for my life. I decided to go to cooking school after graduating college, just sort of not knowing what to do. And like, hey, you know, like learning how to cook, it would never hurt yourself, right? Right. So, okay. So it wasn't really like, I'm going to go to cooking school, be a cook, and this is my passion and this is my life. Nothing like that. So I went to cooking school um, and then started working, you know, externing at restaurants and stuff. And I absolutely loved it. And I think more than anything, the biggest thing was that cooking food became my third language i didn't have to be korean i didn't have to be american mm. there was a one thing that was understood by uni- by everyone universally and when you and the f- food is one thing that i tell my cooks all the time is it's so honest like you work hard you put a lot of yourself in it like you will show like people how much you think the, the care you put in like the love you put in like people will taste it right so i felt like like because i mean i really felt like you know after college i felt like i lost I was lost between being Korean and being American. I didn't was I was neither. Right. And I think when I became a cook, I was like this that, that gave me a identity of who I was and I am now. But when you look back, right? Cuz it's that's a big thing to say, you know, you just you just went to cooking school. I no, but I But when know. you look back, do you think there was something in the back of your head or something? That's such a commitment. That's hard work. Yeah, no, I it's think it's also very. I mean, for someone who came up, you know, going to nice schools, it's very physical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, like being a female in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, being have to be on your feet all the time, and I think that's part of me. You know, I guess my parents' upbringing that, like, you know, you cannot fail. You don't have an option of failing. Right. Um, you have to work hard, and I think I was like being able to kind of see a tangible result as you know, like in, that's instant gravitation tangible result right away yeah that i really felt like okay i could do this yes so how do you so you you went to work some at some great restaurants right you went to per se you were a db bistro modern um you were at the essex house right was that during the ducasse oh and ducasse yeah. okay um okay so those are some pretty good yeah. chef empires yeah. to be a part of no it was amazing at what point do you start to in your mind, f- formulate the beginnings of what is, has become this style, where you take food of a country where you grew up and mingle in techniques, not just that you learned in school and in these restaurants, right, which leaned heavily French, I'm sure, um, but also from other places that you haven't lived, yeah, right? Yeah. How did you find your way to your personal style, and how did you do that in collab? Forget how personal the, all your the dishes sound. But you did it in collaboration. Yeah. 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 So how did how did your style come to be? So kind of first part was kind of accident. Second part was kind of out of the desperation. So first part of how I learned to or to start cooking Korean was that after per se, um, I was approached by this uh, Korean lady who wanted to open a restaurant in Chelsea, New York. Okay. Um, I was literally just a consultant. And then at the end, I ended up becoming her chef and doing a Korean food that her mom actually came to the kitchen and taught me how to make kimchi and taught me how to make Korean food because okay. I was never learn I, I never learned how to make Korean food. Right. Um, so I start I start making this Korean food. I mean, you know, it's something it's almost like something has awakened inside me. Like I didn't know I knew it, but like I knew how to taste it. I knew how to make it taste like what I had before. 
Um, so I started making Korean food, and then people were noticing me. People were like, "Oh, like this is really interesting," because we're talking about you know like 15, 16 years ago, back then when before the trend, before the whole right. David Chang and everything. Yeah. So yeah, so I was like, "Wow!" Like this all this time, I wanted to be American. All this time, I wanted to be the same. And the fact that I was doing something different, that's what people were taking notice of me. And that's mm-hmm. sort of like really this awakening moment of like, and you know, the fact that it is you're being sort of true to yourself and you didn't have to try to be someone else and just doing your thing. So that was like sort of that aha moment of like, wow, this is really awesome. This is really ma- amazing. Cause I mean, like, like, as you know, like the cooking, you know, it takes a lot of you. You need to absolutely love it. Otherwise, you know, all those long hours, all those aching moments, like, you know, like nothing pays like that. So, um, so when you start taking liberties with the food, did that come naturally to you to start weaving in other influences? So did you I'd, find that you had a natural aptitude for that? Well, actually, so when I, it happened actually when we moved out to uh, Seattle later on and opened our restaurant, Jewel. So Korean food was really fun and awesome in New York and people were noticing when I came out to New York, it was still really interesting, but uh, Seattle was a smaller market, I would say. Korean food is really not to be much found, except like, you know, a few like uh, smaller towns, ethnic spots and stuff. So we are like, okay, like this is really great, but like like people are not getting Korean food. So you so, were fi- you would e- either had to take on the challenge of educating your clients, your guests, yeah. or making it more accessible. Yeah, so we were doing this like Sunday barbecues, you know, different dinner series where we were kind of making sort of, and, and that's partially for my husband and I, we are cooks at the end too, you know, yeah. the Korean food. We are not a place where we are just taking this, you know, grandma recipes and just like replicating all the time, right? So we wanted to like expand ourselves. We wanted to learn. We wanted to try something different. So this neighborhood was kind of like wanting us to, you know, just have fun with food. So that's how sort of what we became known to be having cooking food with you know without borders and all this stuff yeah so what's your process as a do you do you two collaborate on individual dishes does one of you bring an idea to the no pun intended to the table and then you kind of kick it around what's the process yeah so i mean like you know we we both like really enjoy kind of like food with has a big flavors like bold like kind of dirty like you know, flavors things that has a lot of different things going on. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, I mean, mostly I, I do a lot of food, but I mean, he's always there to kind of like critique me, and it's, it's like, hey, we should do more of this, we should do less of this, and stuff. So, so the most of the ideas start with you. Yeah, yeah, they do, and then he's like the editor. Absolutely, that's really cool. So yeah. can you give me? I mean, if it, I don't want to put you on the spot because sometimes people don't have this stuff right in the tip of their tongue, but can you give me an example maybe of a, you know, like the evolution of a dish? Is that something you're able to? remember yeah well so i mean like you know for instance like we have this really awesome fried chicken um and then so we have we make the sauce that's the kind of korean style spicy you know the seasoning that we do those glaze and then you know we make with the like you know the season is is amazing with the kochujang but then has like raisins and anchovies and whatnot um but in the beginning we were kind of mixing things in and like my and my husband would be like hey this has to be dirtier. This has to have this oomph. This, and that's where I started adding, you know, that extra the fish sauce, extra, you know, the anchovies and different things that kind of to take it over the over to the other side. Okay. So yeah. when you say, what do you, you've used that word twice now, dirty. What is it? What do you, what does that mean to you? You know, so um, one thing that we are, what, one, th- one, one food that you don't, you won't, you probably would not find any of our restaurants is a clean food, meaning it's pure ingredient, maybe just salt, pepper, maybe just olive oil, for us, what we love is the, because um, I think it's, it really came from the, our love of sort of the Korean, like, fermented, like, like 
soy soy sauce too, like bean paste. Like it was all the, a lot of food that has this funky, like fermented layered uh, flavor it has this kind of slight funk. And we kind of like that. We we, we think so you're, that you're not describe this. You do not mean what a lot of people would refer to as umami. You mean something a little different. I think it's a little different than umami. Umami gives you sort of this like a fourth dimensional kind of flavor, and funk is kind of like you almost need to like you know rip up the carpet and see what's underneath it. Kind of. I'm just. I want to make sure I'm getting you because it is interesting. I grew up with a uh, my stepmother was Cuban. Okay. Right? So I ate a lot of Cuban food, and sometimes I'll, I've been to a couple of nice Cuban restaurants yeah and I'm always like this is too cl- it's too clean it's too <laughs> I, know, I don't know how else to describe it, it. doesn't <laughs> right it's it's, uh, yeah. it's it's not like down and dirty like to yeah. eat great Cuban food yeah. the great Cuban food I've had is from like a window on Miami Beach you know or at a uh, for lack of a better term like a mom and pop restaurant or stuff yeah. that my stepmother used to cook but even when she cooked at home she was a pretty good cook it wasn't I, I don't know how to say it without it sounding derogatory, but it wasn't refined. Yeah. It was no, delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? You're describing a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. You know how like, you know, because umami really, like people like just describe like, you know, Japanese dashi to have like tons of umami, right? But it's the most clean thing that you'll see as well. Right. And I think when I say this Korean, this funky fish sauce, like this like extra fermented, like, you know, bean paste, they're not, they don't give you that, you know, um, like this clean, but it's got this like, like a lot of layer of things and they just, things just kind of like, you know, you pile all this fla- flavor together and you let the nature happen kind of. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, I mean, I find this is such an interesting comment to me. And also with your background, because you come from places where I know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, per se, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, is there anything there that doesn't go through a cheesecloth? No, I know, I know. I mean, everything. Everything <laughs> is way to the grams and everything. Yeah, and Eleven Madison's very disciplined kitchen, Ducasse's right. place, I'm right. sure. But you ended. But you ended up here. You know why? Because I, my husband and I decided to open a restaurant um, with very little budget. <laughs> Okay. When you open a restaurant with very little budget, um, I don't know. Like we, it's uh, interesting. And, so and you couldn't get the. We don't have the you manpower. You couldn't develop the um, level of uh, the. You couldn't. You couldn't hit enough marks through. Yeah, I mean a multiple lot. Multiple steps. Right. All right. these stages. All the. Yeah, it was like, just my husband and I, and we had one more cook on weekends. Um, so we you needed doing, high impact. Right. Ingredients and yeah. Absolutely, it's not about making one ingredient that's that that is the most precious. Where it's about making something that's as common as cucumber, cu- as common as like you know carrots, yeah. and make it something that's like has the biggest impact. So, is this how you guys eat on your uh, off time? I feel like, you know, I say this a lot. I feel like. Even the most, I hate the term, I know a lot of people don't use the word molecular anymore. I don't know what else you use. Avant-garde, the most (laughs) avant-garde chef, whatever. No one's going home after work and like breaking out the liquid nitrogen, right? I know. Cooks eat the kind of food you guys are making. I know. Right? Right, right. Don't you think for the most part? I think that's why the food is so interesting, you know, because there's there's so much advanced, so much different things happening. At the same time, you know, there's, it's so primal. People kind of come back to sort of this home cooking mm-hmm. flavor that has something has a lot of flavor something that just like is it's simple yet interesting right yeah so give me just if you don't mind wonder what's what would you consider a signature dish that you that you all do um signature dish um well it's i mean or like, one of your favorites yeah so Wh- one, whether or not the media is focused on it sure, what's one of your sure. favorite things that you serve um 
So one of my favorite things is because I mean I kind of I, I don't know it's a I don't know it's about getting old and getting nostalgic, but I really kind of go back to like a lot of Korean food and like more so than like when I started cooking like you know fifteen. So like what you ate ago. when you were a kid back home. I know, I know. That's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we have this uh, spicy rice cake, Korean dakbokki. Um, so we have a jewel. Uh, it's something that I can eat like anytime as a snack, anytime as a meal. It's uh, we do a really kind cl- of classic kind of Korean sauce, but then we we kind of jazz it up with the spicy chorizo and uh, fermented mustard. And it just has, takes it to the next level. So, so the chorizo would be the sort of guest star. Yeah, in yeah. There. It's spicy, but it's got really garlic kind of flavor, and uh-huh. works really well. What, uh, if anything, you know, for for someone we used to live on the East Coast, so you'll know mm-hmm. what I mean by this. Even having spent time here in the past, I don't make a huge distinction in my head. I mean, obviously there are big differences, but Seattle and Portland to me are like sister cities almost. Right. I, you know, I used to... They're only when three I, hours apart. If that, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're going to speak... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now that you're here, what 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 are the differences you notice, um, if any, in the clientele, in the marketplace? What Was there an adjustment you had to make when you went from Seattle to Portland to open a restaurant here? Yeah. I mean, so there are very similar cities. However, um, I do feel like... St- Portland has Portland loves having something small, something unique, something that's a little different. So let's say you know in Seattle you will find basically a a Korean restaurant that has like twenty things on the menu, or no, I'm sorry, like forty things on the menu that basically hits every single thing. In Portland, you will find a Korean restaurant that has just the pancakes, just the stews. Like so, I think Portland is kind of great city that where you can have this really interesting niches of things and people embrace it. So it's really been really fun. That's great. That's so great. Well, it was great to meet you. So nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're doing at the market tonight. Yeah. And uh, I I used to spend maybe one out of every five or six weeks in Seattle. I haven't been back in years, but when I get Please there, come back. I got to come by because yeah. your restaurants sound great. So again, we've been speaking with Rachel Yang of Jewel, Trove, and Revel Restaurants in Seattle and Revelry here in, here in Portland. And before we sign off, I just want to say thanks again to Travel Portland Stream PDX and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. Thanks for listening. Thank you.